Yeah, exactly. So we know we're not recording the video because no one wants to see a video of (laughs) of of us just commiserating about how miserable we are in this pandemic. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performances and arts in Edmonton, Alberta. My name is Fonda, and we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Today, I'm talking with Guy Lavallee, the festival director of Northwest Fest, which is Edmonton's documentary and nonfiction film festival, happens every spring in May, and it is the oldest documentary festival in Canada. He is also the director of its offshoot, Rainbow Visions, which celebrates LGBTQ films in November each year. And full disclosure, I did work at Northwest Fest a couple years back, and I had a great time, learned a lot from Guy about films and film festivals, and also met some really good folks involved in the organization. So this year, though, of course, it's still a pandemic. So in our chat, we cover how Northwest Fest is weathering this new world of online festivals. And about the history of the society a bit, too. And as two festival directors, we're also commiserating on things like uh, how volunteer roles have evaporated and how certain things are actually working really well online. And of course, we do talk a bit about the films at this year's Northwest Fest, which is running May 6th to 16th and is viewable all across Alberta now um, because it is online. So um, before we get into the interview, I will tell you about our sponsors. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Pod Power. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of diverse Albertans and Alberta-based podcasters. In this episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Book Women. Book Women is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from all sorts of mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. Some of my favorites are uh, episodes are with writers they've talked to, uh, including Richard Van Camp, Chef Shane Chartrand, and our pals uh, from Folklords, Ben Gorodetsky and Todd Hausman. And their most recent season is a fantastic book club of all Indigenous reads that includes episodes on children's books, graphic novels, and poetry also. Suffice to say that book women are awesome. You can listen and find out more at bookwomenpodcast.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally-focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. Now, if you want to start your day as an informed citizen, check out The Pulse, Taproot's daily news briefing. The Pulse tells you what you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning. You'll get short, informative updates about what's happening at City Hall, plus coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and more. You'll also get a little bit of whimsy from features like A Moment in History, Chart of the Week, and the Friday podcast pick. 
My personal favorite part of the Pulse is the Cree lesson of the week, which is sponsored by Nehawin, and it's a great way to increase your Cree vocabulary. Um, and it's free. So the Pulse, you can sign up to receive it today. Every morning it hits your inbox. It's a great way to start the day. Uh, you can sign up today at taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. That's taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. Hello, Guy. How are you? Fonda. Uh, I'm uh, living the dream, Fonda. Living the dream. <laughs> well, um, I mean, we know that you're um, in the thick of plans for Northwest Fest, which is about to start in May here. Um, but, well, what what is your day-to-day like right now? What have you been up to? You know, it's really weird because um, typically this is, you know, as you know, April with the with our festival being in May typically April is like such a ridiculous month of like 12 14 16 hour days of getting everything ready you know getting booking travel for filmmakers getting all our volunteers uh in order uh making sure we have um you know all of our venue partners lined up whether it's for screenings uh or filmmaker hospitality or receptions or whatever and um you know, making sure the films are arriving on time and all that stuff. And what we're finding in this, you know, new world is um, once the films were programmed this year, once I had the lineup finalized and notified all the filmmakers, um, now it's a lot of uh, hurry up and wait (laughs) as we just kind of, you know, I mean, that's not entirely... Fair. I mean, we are taking this time to actually uh, start to do a lot more community outreach than we normally typically have time for, um, especially with our limited. I mean, at at the best of times, we have pretty limited resources with this festival, um, both financial and people resources. So, uh, for instance, this year, our volunteer coordinator, you know, we wanted her to still be able to be a part of the festival, but we don't have any volunteers. Uh, so she's taken on a a role of um, uh, we got a couple of interns hired that are just dealing with social media and, um, and community outreach. And she's heading that up, you know, and she's, she's in charge of those, those folks and uh, collaborating with them, which, which takes that off my plate, but it's different. It's like everyone's roles have changed a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm but we don't have any venue to set up for. Like that's been the weird thing, you know, yeah. even setting up the schedule online, it's just normally we're checking to make sure, okay, do we have the right date and time and venue and everything? And, but this year it's just like, well, they're all available from May 6th to 16th. Yeah. All <laughs> of the online. venues are all available now. <laughs> I, that's something that's something that's really interesting though. You said about um, the volunteers is because I've talked to a few other festival organizers and, and other ADs and things like that about how, you know, not only are we as like producers and artists and everyone really affected by all these shutdowns, but the, what are the volunteers doing? You know, the volunteers are the lifeblood of some of these events and organizations. It's just a, uh, it's, it's this other sort of like missing piece that doesn't it, hasn't transfer transferred online either. No, and it, and that's the thing. There isn't really a way for it to transfer online. And you think, you think, and I mean, we're a pretty small organization. Like we don't have a ton of volunteers. You think some of the larger 
events like um, like a folk fest that just announced their cancellation. And, you know, people who have been volunteering for that event for, you know, some of them, you know, for 30 years, 40 years. Well, some people uh, identify themselves as, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm a folk fest volunteer. I'm a volunteer. You know, we have some volunteers like Walter. <laughs> Everyone knows Walter. But of uh, a person like that who, I mean, he lives to volunteer. And all of these opportunities you know, have kind of been taken off the table in the past year as as event after event after event either gets canceled or closed or goes online. Um, mm-hmm. So it's funny we talk about all the um, the effect financially and and you know the futures of all of our organizations, but uh, it is interesting. That's one thing that hasn't gotten talked about a lot is the uh, is the volunteers um, for a lot of for a lot of our volunteers. I mean, this is. You know, um, uh, some of them are retired. Uh, some of them don't have a regular uh, daytime job. This is really their opportunity to get out into the community and, um, you know, uh, interact with with other people, with other volunteers, with the public, um, with different events. And it's a it's a huge it's a huge uh, chunk, I think, of a, a lot of people's social life that's been taken away. You know, along with everything else that that we've lost here over the past 13, 14 months. Yeah. Well, so for the uninitiated, um, mm-hmm. maybe just give us a little bit of a, a rundown of what Northwest Fest is, what you do, um, and how how it really had to change um, from, you know, this time last year. Yeah. So um, so the, the festival, Northwest Fest International Documentary Festival, which is the full name, um, in in – some way, shape, or form has uh, become uh, Canada's longest-running documentary festival, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, now, it's gone through a couple of name changes over the years, which is uh, probably had something to do with it. Um, they also didn't spend their first 25 years or so really touting the fact that it was a documentary festival. It was um, When it was known as Global Visions, uh, it was really known more as a social issue activist type of a festival. Um, but it's always been a documentary festival. So when I came on board, um, actually in fall of 2011, so hard to believe it's been 10 years. This will be the 10th year I'm involved with the organization. But when I first came on board, which was really just going to be for a three month doing a favor to help out as they were like relaunching because they had taken a year off. Um, I really saw a lot of uh, potential, um, especially since, uh, you know, we didn't really have a documentary festival in Western Canada, except for outside of Doxa in uh, in Vancouver. Um, you know, and documentaries were really starting to, to take off as a more popular form of uh, film entertainment uh, than they were certainly 30, 40 years ago. But, you know, we've really seen an explosion in the last decade, especially since Netflix. Um, I mean, not that I want to promote an online streaming service, but it's not to promote them. It's just to, to point out the fact that with this, with the advent of the streaming services, uh, they've tended to, to have a lot of documentaries on their platforms. And a lot of people have started watching docs that m- maybe necessarily weren't open to them in the past. And people find out how easy it is to get hooked on them. So um, we really felt we should stick with, uh, instead of 
um, instead of going in the direction of saying, oh, we're a, you know, kind of a social issue festival, we are a, um, we're a documentary festival that could just open up the parameters so much wider of what we could screen. So um, everybody on what was on board with that, our whole board of directors, everything. Um, we had a couple other folks at the time that, that uh, were in behind the scenes. You know, we had an ED and we had some, uh, another person that, that were all on board as various people kind of uh, went in and out throughout the years. Uh, you know, as you know, with the smaller arts organizations like ours, you know, it, it's not necessarily a full-time gig for a lot of people because we don't have the budgets for it to be. So sometimes it can be hard to keep really good people because um, maybe they, they find out they have to pay their rent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we know, we know, we all have like five jobs, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, so we did a couple of years of, uh, of global visions, but at the time, um, I mean, for years it took place in November. Um, and then they moved it to February, which was, uh, I mean, we all know we're all, Edmontonians, February is a bit of a challenging month <laughs> to get people to leave the house at the best of times. Well, back in the before times, you know, it was hard to get people to leave the house in February. So anyway, um, we, we, and it was a three day festival. So we really thought, well, if we're going to make this kind of a big dock fest, like let's move um, uh, to a different point in the calendar and let's expand. Um, part of the reason for moving besides the weather was um, by holding the festival in February, right on the heels of Sundance, and before South by Southwest, Hot Docs, and Tribeca, it meant there none of the new documentaries were available to us. We were really booking things that were a year old. Um, right. So by moving to May, we were able to, now all the films that have had their world premiere at Sundance and South by and hot docs and Tribeca. They've had their world premiere or they've had their international premiere uh, for people not uh, aware of the intricacies of film festival politics um, for a lot of distributors and films and festivals, especially the large ones. Premiere status is really, really super important. So um, I've had films over the years that desperately wanted to screen here but they hadn't had a world premiere yet. And like their distributor or sales agent were just saying, you can't, you can't burn your world premiere on a, on a regional festival. Like you have to wait for, you know, a Berlin or a Cannes or a Sundance. So by opening ourselves up um, or by moving to May, we really opened up the doors to what was available to us. And then we went one step further by, by even forming an official partnership with hot dogs to showcase five of the, the newest films that have just premiered at hot docs, which ends just as we're starting. Um, they basically come directly from hot docs to here. So that's been a great uh, uh, kind of synergy between the two festivals. And it's, it's also, I think shown that, that with all the internal politics of film festivals, um, which, you know, you've read about online over the years, you look at the fights that TIFF and Venice have had, and tell you ride over premiere status and, you know, premiering the big Oscar films and everything. Here we have a massive festival in Ontario, a smaller festival in Alberta, but we've found a way to actually work together. And, and, you know, um, we get to kind of the cachet of the hot docs brand. Um, 
but they get to also show that, you know, they are willing to work with other festivals throughout the country. Um, I, th- and I think it's partly cause it's documentaries. There's a little bit more of a, uh, this kind of fellowship in the documentary world, you know, of people who really, yeah. yeah, yeah. I see that you do have, um, I'm just looking at your lineup on my other screen yeah. here and so there is the best of hot docs showcase that is part of the lineup. And I do want to get to talking about the lineup in a little bit. Um, but yeah, in terms of, you know, where your organization has come from and what you had to do sort of, well, last year, basically, oh, last, um, yeah. to, just, to just kind of survive. Um, how did, th- how did that all go? So um, being in May, um, obviously in March, when everything shut down, we had our lineup planned we had the the website built. We we were literally a week away from announcing the full lineup when we realized we're going to have to shut down uh, and we're going to have to postpone. Well, we're going to have to postpone or cancel. We made the decision because, as everyone knows, oh, we were all so naive back then. Because <laughs> <of course, laughs> back in like, March, and April, twenty twenty. Back in March of twenty twenty, we all knew that by June or July, everything would be back to normal. So we thought, well, we'll just postpone. We already do Rainbow Visions in November anyway, which is our other festival that we run. So we thought, well, let's just run them back to back. Actually, it'll that'll actually be kind of cool. We'll do a, you know, and people will be clamoring to get out to festivals again. So it'll be great. Um, also, we had informed all these filmmakers that their films were in and we didn't want to have to cancel on them. We wanted to postpone and say, look, you're still going to get a theatrical screening it's just going to be six months later so um once we did that then the question was well what do we do do we just you know stay the course until the fall but we thought well you know there were a few festivals starting to dip their toe in the water of doing some online screenings so we decided you know very much at the 11th hour to do uh, in may during the dates that would have been the theatrical Northwest Fest to do a small online version. We only had 14 films, no shorts. So 14 feature films. We didn't sell passes. It was all just individual tickets. Um, we got, we, we dealt with one distributor for all the films. So it was much easier to make kind of a package deal. And um, it's a distributor that we have a fantastic relationship with so they were really willing to work with us to make it work and um and it went pretty well you know all things considered um you know i was hoping you know we'd get maybe 50 people (laughs) buying tickets and uh while no means was it you know a massive uh uh big money maker um we had we far surpassed our own internal target of what we were hoping for and you know it was pretty much a break-even endeavor um, but it was so new for so many people at the time. No one was really doing the online thing yet. Now, what's happened a year later is the bar has really been raised, you know, again, because the really big festivals with the big budgets like South by Southwest or Hot Docs, they've had a year to kind of figure out what to do. And they've had the budgets to kind of implement stuff so you know like south by which just happened a few weeks ago or last i guess a month ago now um you know they developed their very own app 
And, you know, if you had a pass, you could watch online conferences and panels and films and like, it was crazy, you know? Uh, but they also had, you know, they had really 12 months to, or 10 months to, to, to really develop that. They also have some really big name, big money sponsors that it was a way for them to kind of like what the NHL is doing and all the major sports right now. The reason they're really doing these seasons is to, uh, fulfill their sponsor obligations. You know, that's what it all boils down to. Um, we don't necessarily have that same issue. <laughs> you know, we don't, I don't have to make white claw happy, you know, <laughs> whereas, right. uh, you know, the, the big, the big, the big festivals had, uh, had that to deal with. Now, having said that and having gone through a couple of online festivals now, um, and I mean, this is like, probably not what I should be saying with our own online one about to launch, but it's, it's just not the same. No, man. I mean, you as a programmer, I know that you went to South by Southwest every year or almost every year. Um, oh yeah. For and, 12 years, and, 13 years. Yeah. And then, but though this year I heard from a couple of people who said, you know what? I never got to go to South by before. And I got to, I got to go this year because of this technology now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's like, I guess there's the other side of it, but for um, sure. in terms of sort of what it means for an organization of your size um, and all this, you know, whatever has been happening, how is the organization actually um, doing with all of the, you know, the changes and things, you know, there's like maybe a change in box office, change in sponsors because there's sponsors don't really, they haven't bought on to the online idea yet, at mm -hmm. least not in the small scale way that we're talking about for, you know, like locally based organizations. Exactly. Um, and, and of course, then, you know, we all know in the nonprofit sector in Alberta here, we're all wondering when the casinos are going to open again, uh, because that's yeah. effect, that's a huge impact on nonprofit fundraising here. Um, so, yeah, like what are sort of the conversations that you're having now about like how to make it out of these next, say, like 12 or 24 months? Well, I mean, to be, to be brutally honest, one of the things that we've done is just, um, really, really, really decrease our level of spending. Yeah. Um, which I know probably sounds like an obvious thing to say, but, you know, again, you know, this is where I guess in a way we do have the advantage of not having an office with a full-time staff you know, with like, say, 10 or 15 or 20 <clears throat> full-time staff members, you know, we have really only two people that are on year round. And even that is none of it's full-time. So, you know, we've been okay with weathering the storm, uh, you know, because I don't have the box office coming in from a theatrical screening, but I also don't have the venue rental mm -hmm. <laughs> associated with it. And I don't have the costs of running a box office and I don't have the costs of bringing in additional staff. Sure. We've got volunteers, but we still bring in additional staff. Um, the screening fees are far less because um, while well, the distributors aren't charging nearly as much, for screening fees because they know for festivals like ours 
you know, where it's not going to be the same level of, uh, of box office where you've got say Metro cinema that I have a potential to have 500 people paying 12 or $13 to come in. They know it's not going to be the same because a, a key thing to keep in mind, all of our films are capped. Attendance is capped right. for the online. That's mm. part of the deal made with all the filmmakers and everything is it's it's capped at 300 seats for so once it's you know if, if something sells 300 tickets or streams that's it it's done it's sold um, out basically right yeah so that that's been one key the other thing is if nobody if nobody streams this film there's no costs <laughs> right basically we're paying so if if we sell a hundred streams say to Film X. Okay, there's the streaming fees for those hundred streams, but there's also a ticket sold for each one of those hundred streams. Mm -hmm. If no people buy it, well, there's no streaming fees because nobody streamed it. So we might not have brought in any cash from it, but we also, it's not costing us any outgoing money. So there's, there's been that. There's no venue rentals. There's a little bit more cost certainty in that you're only paying for, for streams. Um, there's no travel. That's the other big film festival cost or festival cost is guest travel. There's no filmmakers coming. So there's no flights. There's no meals. There's no hotels. There's no travel. There's, I mean, that adds up, you know, that adds up. That's a massive cost that now, again, the trade-off to that is you don't have people in a room interacting with a filmmaker you've got some zoom q a's and it's just not the same i'm going to tell you i'm not going to tell you the title because we're holding off yet another year we've had our opening night film for the festival set since last january january of 2020 okay mm -hmm. we were all set to have in may of 2020 our biggest opening night film that we've ever had with a major guest star who's the subject of the film, who was committed to coming. It looked like it was going to be the world premiere. I mean, all the stars were aligning. Uh. Then, so we're like, it's okay. We'll do it in November. And then of course fall came and we couldn't travel it's okay. We'll do it in May of 2021. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> so I talked to the filmmaker like two weeks ago and he said, you know what, at this point, we'll do whatever you want to do. If you want to do a virtual screening with myself and the film subject doing a live online, we'll do it. Uh, if you want to wait, we'll do it, whatever you want. And I decided, even though the film's probably going to end up being released by then uh we're just we're gonna do it for opening night next year anyway i think <laughs> it should be kind of funny you know i said i said to the filmmaker i'm like you know it'd be great because in may of 2022 walking up on that stage in metro cinema and saying welcome to our opening night film of northwest fest 2020 yeah 
of what could have been two years ago. Yeah. Well, so what is what? Tell tell us about um what's happening at Northwest Fest this year. What's in the lineup? What are you really excited for? I want to hear about the hot dog showcase and the Alberta showcase and all the things you have planned. Well, you know, and this is where um, I think really my the most sadness that I that I've had over this this uh, switch over to the online because it's true. You know, on the one hand, all of our films are available for streaming anywhere in Alberta. So theoretically that opens up our audience enormously because really like we're not a festival that people are taking time off to travel to Edmonton to come to now you know, people in any community in Alberta can buy a ticket to a film festival film, which is actually quite exciting. It's kind of the the same um, concept that you just said with South by Southwest. People who had never had a chance to go, you know, could actually buy a ticket and a pass and and experience it somewhat, even though most of the feature films were not available for viewing in Canada. But um, I look at I look at the positive. And it's like, okay, anybody in Alberta can can buy a ticket now and, and watch one of the films. When I look at the other side of the coin, we have such a killer lineup of films this year. And the fact that nobody can be there, I can't experience the audience reaction live. And the filmmakers can't be there to experience that audience reaction live. Yeah, that's the tough part. That is the tough part. Um, but having said that, you know, because there's a couple of films that are just such audience movies, like Fanny, The Right to Rock. Yeah. Oh, my God. So this is crazy. So, and I mean, you know me, I'm a huge music guy. I was I was in the music industry for years before I, I did this. Yeah, and you program the music, uh, the music films at Cuff, right, or Kiff? That's if, yeah, yeah. That's sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's Calgary, yeah. I don't know. I don't Calgary. Know. <laughs> so I'm like huge. So I, I, I'm I, reading about this Fanny, the right to rock, and the distributor sent me a, a, a copy of it. And oh my God, this movie's phenomenal. And it's Canadian. The film is Canadian. The band is not, but the film is. So Fanny was this group of three women, three Filipino-American women in the late 60s who were the first all-female rock band to ever get signed to a major label. They got signed to like Warner Reprise in the late 60s. And they show all this archival footage in the film. And oh my God, this band kicked ass. And how did none, have none of us ever heard of Fanny? And I mean, you really realize through the film, it's like, it's because they were, they were not just a girl group, but they were like, they were girls trying to do rock, like notoriously still a, a, a you know, boys club world. Uh, and they were women of color. So it's like, good luck. But their biggest fan was David Bowie. There's all these clips in the film of David Bowie in interviews going, well, you know, the band I'm really listening to now is Fanny. If you haven't heard of them, you really should. It's like, wow. <laughs> so this movie's deadly. But this is like, talk about a crowd pleaser movie that you just want to see with either the band there or the filmmaker and, you know, but I think that aside, I think people can still just 
buy a ticket to this one and watch it at home and make sure they're casting it to their TV and they can crank it, you know, and listen to the the music loud. And it's just, it's such a crowd pleaser. I love this movie. I love this movie so much. So I'm so excited that we were able to have it. Um, and it's actually part of our best of hot dog showcase as well. It actually okay. fits into the music docs, the made in Canada and the best of hot docs showcase. <laughs> There's some good crossover there. Um, exactly. You have a couple of, uh, you have a couple films in the, um, uh, what's it? The Alberta showcase or the perspective, Alberta. Perspective Alberta. Yeah. Um, we have a, a, a few. So there's uh, a, an amazing film called The Line, which is about Edmonton's waste management facility. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, I can't wait to, to see that one. Um, yeah, well, there, the I, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in that because that's quite the quite the story right now about how Edmonton's well, and you know like recycling and everything is going, you know. It is, but this is the story of the people who work there and like they are like a family and all these people who have felt like outsiders or not been given a chance or no one else will hire them um, get this sense of pride working there because they're treated with respect and they're treated like human beings. And, and it's like this one big family, but the film is also so beautifully shot that it blew me away. Uh, and we we've paired that because it's it's just under an hour long, so we've paired that with um, a film called Joe Buffalo, which is a short film, sixteen minutes long, that actually just won the Audience Award for Best Short at South by Southwest. Wow! Yeah, which is like huge. So the filmmakers were like ecstatic. Um, and is that an Alberta a, film too? The subject is from Alberta. So oh, Joe okay. Buffalo is mm-hmm. is from Alberta. Um, the film itself is the director, I believe, is BC, um, but it's very much uh, a local story. Edmonton's in the film, uh, so we thought there's enough of a connection here that we could pair the two together. That is a great double feature. That that if I was going to recommend anything to anyone, I'd be like, that's the double feature you need to see. Awesome. Yeah. Well, a lot of most of our listeners are really Edmonton focused, Edmonton based. So that's a that's a good recommendation there. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, and then there's another one on the perspective, Alberta one called Love Oren. Yeah, which is uh, I I, what I would say is go to our website, northwestfest.ca, read the brief synopsis. And then don't read anything else. The less you know, going in. This is one of those films. The less you know going in, the more rewarding it will be as you watch this. This is the thing about um, documentaries. You hear this phrase from time to time, stranger than fiction. And it's used um, It's used a little too often sometimes. But this is definitely... One of those stories that as you are watching it, uh, you just can't believe that this actually happened <laughs> and that right. all the all the stars aligned for for this story to happen. I don't want to say what's actually happening in it, because I think the more you can discover it yourself, the better. But it's a really um, it's a really amazing story. 
Cool. Um, I, I guess sort of just to kind of wrap it all up a little bit here, because we've got you, you've, you've given us a lot here to think about and we all want, now want to go sign up and get a bunch of doc tickets. Um, (laughs) what, like, so in your job as someone who curates a documentary film festival, what do you think the, the last two years of filmmaking and the filmmaking community, what are you looking forward to for what's happening in, in filmmaking in the next year? Well, to be quite honest, what I'm looking really forward to is people being able to get out and film unencumbered again. Um, and by that, I mean what I saw a lot this year. Well, I have to say, first of all, I didn't think we were going to get any submissions this year. Because I know a lot of people realized, you know, by by the mid to late 2020, that a lot of festivals, especially in the first half of 2021, were still going to be either entirely online or a bit of a hybrid. So I, I thought a lot of people were going to wait and, and submit for 2022 festivals. We ended up getting more submissions than we've ever had, which I... I I can't believe that's also what made it so hard to narrow them down. Um, which is also why we have, I think 15 more features than I planned on. <laughs> on programming. Wow. Everybody had like six months to sit at home and edit their documentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, now having said that, uh, we didn't see, well, we saw a few, there's a lot of, um, as you would expect, there's a lot of COVID centric films coming out now shorts and features documentaries and narrative features. You know, I mean, it's funny and and I've really been shying away from them because it's like, we're still living it. I don't really need to see a movie about how COVID's affecting everyone. It's like, cause yeah, I just no have to COVID. open my eyes. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about something that, else, please? <laughs> what's funny though, is having said that, you know, I saw to not, promote a different festival, but um, of all the films I saw at South by Southwest this year, there was a COVID themed comedy narrative feature. Like it wasn't a doc. That was my favorite movie by far of anything I saw. Cause it was hilarious. So it proved to me that actually you can take, you you can, you can take the COVID themes and you can do, you can explore them in different ways. Um, so it opened my mind to that idea a little bit more. And we do have a couple, you know, like Wuhan, Wuhan, which is a stunning film. Um, and it really opened my eyes to like, okay, we are far enough into it that we, it's probably interesting for a lot of people to see kind of this evolution of, of how people got around filming during COVID, whether they were filming whether the topic of the film was COVID or whether the constraints they had, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to finish, I'm making a documentary right now that I've been trying to finish since last fall Mm -hmm. because we keep, every time we plan a shoot, everything shuts down again and there's restrictions and I can't have a group of people. And, you know, it's been, it's been a real challenge. Like, I mean, I planned on having this film done by last August we ended up having our first day of shooting in August <laughs> and right. we're, f- we're finally wrapping up, you know, hopefully next month. So when I say I'm looking forward to filmmakers being able to be unencumbered again, 
It means actually get out into the world, have a crew, have a gathering, film an event. Like that's what's been missing. You know, it's it's really hard. There's been so many challenges. There's been so many shoots. Everybody I know who's in production has had uh, shoots from one or two day shoots to three or four week shoots canceled. Everyone, every single person I know that's in film or television production has had stuff either canceled or postponed. And it's usually been postponed and then postponed again and then postponed again. And, you know, so I'm looking forward to that. It's like every other industry. It's no different than, than the restaurant industry right now or retail or hotels. Anyone who every time you gear up to be like, okay, I think we're out of the worst of it. We're good for a week, and then the worst, you know, another wave hits us. Yeah. So, well, I th- I think one thing that I, I I'm kind of I still don't know what to expect is that there's so many things that are on pause and they get pushed back and pushed back, but a lot of people may not realize the amount of time that these things actually take to plan. I even know. F- from the starting point, right? Like if theaters open again, say like, for, I'm talking, I guess for live theater, yeah. if, a live, if a live theater is allowed to open again, that doesn't mean that they just get to put a play on stage. No, there are, exactly. There's, you know, like months of engagement with contracts and then rehearsal period. And then all sorts of like, it's, it's not just going to be like, we flick a switch once everyone is vaccinated and it goes goes back because we need we need to catch up with like content and production (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely it's it's that's going to be a huge because that's the thing people don't take into account you're right is the the amount of time it takes to prepare for an event so for any festival you're the you know the second one year ends the day, the next day, you're starting planning on next year, again, and it's yeah. the same with live performance. Like my God, man, they're they've got to rehearse and they've got to cast people, and there's so much involved with with getting something up and running. Yeah, so, I mean, with even with Folk Fest here, like Folk Fest in mid April announced mm-hmm. that it was canceling for their August festival. Um, and I'm sure shortly after we will hear about a lot of other summer festivals being um, canceled because no one has really wanted to pull the plug. But the reality is, is that they've been planning for the most part of like what they can pull off. I know. The other question is, you know, that's, this is a big one. And we saw it when we tried to hold a theatrical version of our festival last November, you know, it was in person November. So we did in person and this is just before, because really in September, October, things were looking pretty good and they started going really downhill just as like basically the week we were going to launch and it was way too late to, to cancel. Um, and everything was still open we weren't breaking any rules. You know, everything was open. The movie theaters were open. Like we were doing everything above board. We were, we had like, Metro has such ridiculously enhanced cleaning measures in place. So we all felt really good about it moving forward. None of our volunteers backed out. Like everybody was on board, but the audiences, the it's the audiences that weren't ready to come back. Yeah. You know, we had Mm -hmm. very small crowds. It was really a tough sell for people. In fact, the vast majority of our pass holders who had bought passes for the spring edition when we had to postpone it, um, held on to them for the fall 
And the vast majority of them did not ask for a refund, but they also didn't come. Yeah, They just kind of said, here's a donation to the festival. We're not comfortable. Yeah, there's been a bunch of surveys going around uh, in the art sector about, you know, audience audience buy-in for when when things do start going back um and really it truly is that that just that herd immunity the the 100 percent vaccination level like that's that people have to feel safe and we want people to be safe at our events exactly i mean can you find it can you even imagine a building in this province right now with 500 or a thousand people in it Oh my God, no, (laughs) like I can't even, I don't even know, I don't even know when that will happen, you know, like where I'm talking with publishers this week and things like that about the October Lit Fest, Um, because people are still writing, books are still coming out, right? I know. Um, But, uh, but it is still really uncertain, like I, we're, we're assuming that there's not going to be much travel still. Um, any events that we do do in person would li- very likely be very small and locally based, like local talent. So that's yeah. um, that's that's sort of the you know the the hopeful expectation right now. Um, we'll see how things go in the next few months with all of the vaccine and the variants and everything like that. I know. Um, well, the thing is, I mean, we're we attract, and I'm, when I say we, I mean our festival, yours. Um, a lot of the uh, uh, festivals like Folk, Fringe, um, other, you know, uh, just the live theater community, the demographic that supports all these events are also among the highest demographic of people who are masking, socially distancing, like really on board with the whole uh, COVID um, reduction strategies. Are you saying that all of our fans are really just socially conscious and responsible? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's why I was being a little facetious about, I can't imagine any buildings in this province with 500 or a thousand people in them. Oh, except I bet you which ones will be the first ones. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they have to do with major sports sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But and a- and anyhow. Uh, yes. We won't get into uh, that. Well, Guy, Northwest Fest looks amazing this year. The lineup looks awesome. I'm really it glad really that has- it is going ahead uh online at least. We can all still uh safely watch and and be with be with y'all for all that kind of stuff so well um, you know what i'm gonna what i would say to people is like because of streaming costs i mean streaming fees are quite high so people might look at one single ticket and be like "Ooh, it's 12.95 for a movie okay but that's what you're gonna pay to go see one except the difference is if there's a group of four of you going you're all paying 13 dollars to go see that movie here you can have, if you've got a family of six, it's like you're buying one ticket. You're buying one stream. So I know we're up against the Netflixes and the primes of the world where it's like, well, I pay 15 bucks a month and I get all these movies. You know, this is a little bit different. These are movies that aren't available anywhere else right now, um, many of which will be harder to find even when they do become available. Um, so for 13 bucks for a ticket, you know, it's that's pretty good. But the thing that people really should look into, especially if you're going to watch more than one, there's a four pack and there's a all access pass. 
I mean, so the all access streaming pass is sixty nine ninety five, sixty nine or seventy four. I forget how much it is. <laughs> it's around seventy five or seventy nine bucks, something like that, <laughs> with all fees included. I might add, and you can watch. There's we have forty feature films, forty and forty shorts. So there's five shorts packages, and then a bunch of shorts in front of features. And you can watch all of them if you want. And I mean, the, the thing's going on for 12 days. So you've got a lot of time to watch stuff, yeah. you know? So when you look at it that way, it's actually a pretty good deal um, to watch as many things as you want. And even the four pack, you know, 40 bucks, you're, you're going to get, you'll find four quality films. It really is. I mean, it is a, it's a deadly lineup this year. So yeah. I really hope some people take a chance and, and discover some stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a projector in my backyard because I have a I have a gr- white garage door. So I'm gonna set up a projector and have my cohort over to to watch some films in my backyard. Awesome. That's a great <laughs> idea. See, yeah, well, and then I only pay for one streaming license. Exactly. <laughs> well, plus that's the beauty too. It's May, so it's like you can do that. You could do it outside because the weather yeah. will be nice. Yeah, totally. theoretically. Theoretically, well, and you know, gosh knows if the if the Oilers get to the playoffs, <laughs> because that always screws with your dates too. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, even in a pandemic, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's leave it at that. Thanks so much, Guy, for taking the time today, and yeah, we'll leave all of the details for Northwest Fest and the passes and everything uh, on our show notes for our listeners. And yeah, thanks so much, and best of luck with with all of it. Thank you. Yeah, and I hope people uh, enjoy. Let us know right. what you loved. All right, so you can catch Northwest Fest online from May 6th through 16th this year. We will share all the links in the show notes. Of course, special thanks again to Guy for this great chat. It's always fantastic to chat with, with Guy because he, he loves to chat. So, And I hope you can all check out some of the fabulous documentaries that they've got on tap this year at Northwest Fest. So for listings, as we usually do at the end of the show, of course, everything's pretty much online. We'll provide a couple of other links in the show notes, but, you know, go watch some of those online shows, everyone, from the safety of your home Wi-Fi. And do your part to make sure you are seeking out and supporting artists where you can. If you can, of course, send them a donation. They sure could use it. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Episodes are produced by Fonda Mithrush and Paul Blanon. We are recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Series art by Michael Nunweiler. Technical support by Andrew Paul. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you value independent local arts coverage... Please consider supporting us on Patreon or leaving us a review on your podcatcher. Find out more at idontgetityeg.com.